Welcome to the Strong Single and Human podcast, a real look at single parenting, the ups and downs and how to navigate life with kids on your own while keeping sane. Covering subjects such as domestic violence through to fussy eaters and solo dating. I'm your host, Claire Martin. Welcome. Hi, everyone. This week, I have a really, really good friend of mine who I've known for the last, dare I say it, 25 odd years. Lindsay McGinley has been a single mum on and off for 20 plus years of three wonderful girls. Previously, I had worked with Lindsay in the insurance industry as a contact centre rep and then in many other project management roles. However, the universe had different plans for both of us. With me moving to London and then to Australia and her marrying an army guy and moving to Germany and having her youngest daughter, Sophie. Lindsay is now an artist and has moved back to the UK. And tragically, 18 months ago, she and the girls lost their darling husband and father to a heart attack. And once again, Lindsay is not only dealing with being a widow, but also a single mum again. Hi, Lindsay. Thanks for joining us. Hey, you. How are you doing? Hi. So, wow. It's oh, it's been a roller coaster journey, and I've been around for part of it, but I've been here in Australia now for thirteen years. But we still stay in contact. So, um, hey, look. Let's. Oh, where do we start? Oh, dogs barking in the background. It's all good. These things happen. Where do we start? Um, should we start at the beginning? Do you want to tell us how? you've got to where you've got to this could be a massive long story um so let's start with molly okay so molly is your eldest yeah. and so right let's start with how, you were single mum with molly yeah, weren't I was, you um, i was told at 15 i'd never have children because of medical reasons so it was a bit of a shock when at the age of 18 i found myself pregnant um i didn't know i was pregnant I didn't know for a long time. In fact, I didn't find out I was officially pregnant until I was gone five months with her. Um, she was hiding away. Wow. And the doctors had done tests, which had come back negative. And then I was really, really poorly one night and um, sent up to the hospital and they scanned me and woohoo, there she was. So it was a bit of a shock to the system. Um, her wow. dad was due to fly off to America for three years to go to uni. So I knew that I was going to be on my own pretty much um, with the support of my mum, which was a bit of a scary thing to have to tell her at that age. But yeah, so she was, she was born five weeks early on the 12th of June, 1993. And came out looking a bit like a toilet brush with her hair. It was just stuck up on end. <laughs> she just was, she was a looking thing and I was like oh my god I have to look after this now what do I do she's gonna love you for that comment but yeah oh no, she, sure. I call her all the time still <laughs> she's now 28 so um yeah it's been a bit of a journey from then so then so then her dad did her dad fly off to America and then spend the three years doing the uni thing Right, so she was not quite three months old when he flew out to Atlanta. Um, wow. and soccer, get my teeth in. He had a soccer scholarship to uni there. Um, there right. is 
really weird twist. I don't know whether you want to know about that. Um, he was accepted in three universities in, in America, um, one in San Antonio in Texas. Can't remember where the second one was, and then this, this place in Atlanta. Um, and he really struggled to make his mind up to which one he wants to go to um, because the San Antonio one looked really good, but the Atlanta one gave him more freedom. So he decided to go to um, Little did I know, well, 15 years later, I would end up marrying my husband, whose brother is the soccer coach for Trinity Tigers in San Antonio. So had he decided to go over to that one, then my future brother-in-law would have been his coach. Wow, that's bizarre. Bit of a weird twist, but no, he decided to go to Atlanta um, and communication in those days before mobile phones and things like that really were a thing and there was no internet. Um, it was tough. So it was letter writing and things like that. And after a few months, the letter writing got less and less on his side. And I just didn't hear from him anymore. Um, I get the odd thing. I didn't really have a huge amount of contact with his parents, although his sister was really um, supportive and good. So she was around a lot. So for that first sort of year, I was pretty much on my own with Molly. Um, he was in another country. And we never lived together. Um, he came back after a year because complications with his funding. And we sort of had a bit of an on-off relationship to see what was going on. I was really determined because having been um, left as a child when my own father died when I was 10, I was really adamant that all that, that my children or my, my child was going to have a father figure in her life until yeah. she was old enough to make for herself so yeah. I insisted on seeing him um insisted on her going to him at least every other weekend which was good it was fun I could plan things I could go out I could have fun when he had her and things like that um but there was always the times when she she was a very sickly child and she had horrendous um asthma from a very early age after contracting bronchiolitis um, when she was about six months old and every time she went to his and she coughed or wheezed or something like that he panicked phoned me and said I need to bring her home I need to bring her home and I was like well you can't bring her home because I'm not at home I'm out I'm staying with friends or I'm out for a meal or I'm I'm having you know I was a 19 19- I still had a life away from being a mum and I needed that break. Um, So it it really was a bit of a challenge in that sense to juggle everything, to make sure that I was there for her if she was ill or I could, I had to change my plans at the last minute because he couldn't cope with it or, you know, he was never, he's never been a full-time dad. Um, So he didn't understand the the responsibility you know he was the one who could go off and do what he wanted and I was one literally sitting at home holding the baby um it and you had your mum were you living at your mother's then or were you living somewhere else um, when I felt pregnant I was living in a basement sort of studio flat which belonged to um my best friend's parents 
So I'd been living there um, when I found out I was pregnant. And then um, as soon as I found out, I was aware that in Norwich, which is where I was at the time, there was um, an organisation called Umbrella Housing, which was for single parents and they provided you with a flat, um, which was so cheap. Um, and from there, then you were put as a priority to get a council house in the UK. Yeah. So when Polly was about 18 months old, um, I was lucky enough to get a brand new built house. Um, they built a new estate wow. um, and they cleared the waiting list. Um, and it was, a, it was a strange setup because you had um, all the people at the top of the list. So you had like all the old age pensioners that wanted moving. You had all the single parents and then you just had everything in between. So it was a very yeah. strange of environment, but there were a lot of children around, so they always had someone to play with. Everyone, it was like a little cul-de-sac lived, and so everyone kept an eye out for the kids. So it was quite a nice little, and we all looked after each other, and we babysat for each other. So life got a bit better um, on the on the fact that I, I still had quite a lot of freedom, um, and I could still have fun. And, and we got to the point in the summer well, we'd all just come outside at seven o'clock at night with a drink or whatever, and we'd all sit our driveways and have a social life. Um, and we had we had really good time. And that's the thing, I think nowadays, I think that's sort of that, that's changed. I mean, I'm very lucky. I live in an awesome neighbourhood. I know most of my neighbours, but I, you know, I know other parents who are, feel really isolated because, in you know, twenty odd years on, we don't socialize like that we don't we you know we don't sit in our streets and or go to each other and especially during covid covid's oh, been horrendous yeah, definitely um the difference between the environment i lived in then and the environment i live in now is a bit strange because actually to look at it it's quite a similar setup to where i used to live when molly was a baby mm. however there is no socialising at all. So I know who my neighbours are. I say hello to them, apart from the crazy lady. Um, we don't talk to her. Um, <laughs> but we all know we're all sort of pleasant, but there's no community spirit, really. Um, so this, it's really much lonelier. And obviously, having been married to John for 16 years and doing everything together, to then not have him here, has taken mm. you know a lot of getting used to I don't know whether I am used to it it was actually 21 months yesterday uh, yeah yeah oh, is it 21 months now so um but it it's a different you know dynamic because the girls are that much older Sophie's now 15 she's 16 in two weeks and it's very different from having toddlers um yeah yeah. Yes. Um, but anyway, going back to that time when when I lived there, um, Molly's dad and I went our separate ways, pretty much because it just wasn't working. He got he found somebody else and they moved in together and things. And it took me a while to get my head around that because I wanted more than anything for my daughter to grow up in a stable family environment, which she had. Yeah. And then I met the local rogue <laughs> and, um, yeah, that will change things a bit crazy. And um, we ended up getting married 
I'm not quite sure how that happened, if I'm honest with you, but it did. Uh, and then Amy came along um, and it was going from being a part-time family with Molly's dad to a full-on 2.4 with children. Um, we moved house to another neighbourhood um, down the road from the school that Molly was attending at the time, because Molly by this point was about four or five. There's about a four-year age gap between the two of them. Uh, and Amy was a very easy child, to be honest, which was good because I was really busy then. Um, by this time, I was working with you. Um, so, yeah. yeah, that's I, how we met. was how we met with you. You had Amy and Molly. Amy and yeah, when I joined Norwich Union. I'd been working at previously um, and my then husband was a house husband, or so he said. But then the affairs started and everything wow. else. Um, and he was not a very, what's the word? I'm trying to think politely here. He was attentive? not attentive in any way. <laughs> um, yeah, opposite. Or present no. with the girls from you know, and I like, and I was, I was over your house quite a yeah. bit <laughs> during that time. Yeah. So he, yeah. he, he think that the children were my responsibility. You know, you know as well as I do, we work hours yeah. sometimes, and we drink after work. Well, you, I'm sure of. He used to walk in and tell me to get out, and he wasn't an unpaid baby, and all this sort of stuff, and um, the marriage failed quite drastically mainly due to him having an affair with my best friend um at the time my neighbor and um I kicked him out um but it was hard and he wouldn't leave it took me four years to get a divorce and all through that time he stayed at the house and in fact I think it was you I rang the day he left he literally just walked out one day and went I'm done and through and I think I rang you and went He's gone. He came round with a glass, uh, with a bottle of wine, and it was great. And from that day onwards, uh, <laughs> I have never looked oh, back. Oh dear, such a bad influence. And uh, yeah, I know. I and then single mum. And then, and so after after husband number two, then you met. No, husband number one. Sounds really bad, doesn't it? But husband number three. No, no. Oh, husband number one. Yeah. That's right, because yeah. you never got married to Molly's dad. That's yeah. right. And then, and then you met, and then you met John, which was. Mad, absolutely. Um, I was. It was a bit crazy. I was on the rebound completely. Um, and I met him through a mutual friend of ours, brother. It's a bit of a messy situation. Um, yeah, we went to brother. Um, he was at the time in Bosnia, serving with the army. Wow. We talked. Yeah. talks and talks and then he flew back to Germany which is where he was based and we talked and talked and talked and then we just went I think we should meet each other and see what happens um and my ex-husband had left the property on the 7th of October and on the 19th of December that year I met John in Amsterdam craziest end of my entire life felt completely and utterly head over heels in love I now know properly for the first time um and we had 16 years um nearly 17 years together 
Um, and that was a strange sort of period because obviously he was in the army, so he went away a lot. So I was. Yeah. Um, well, that was what I was going to say. You were a single yeah. mum on and off, like while he was away yeah. on tours. And how long would a tour um, the last? The tour itself would usually be six months or between six and seven months. And yeah. in that six, seven months, they come home for two weeks at some point, which they call R&R for rest and Yeah. But you can never really get back into it because as soon as they leave, it takes you about two, three weeks to get into a routine again because um, everything changes and you've got to get the children. You know, Sophie was, Sophie was a toddler. The girls were older. They really missed him. Sophie didn't understand. So it was always quite a really tough time those first few weeks and then you just get into the swing of it and they'd come home on R&R and throw everything out again and then off they go um but usually before a tour of that scale you know Afghanistan or Bosnia or, or Iraq or whatever there was so much training they had to do so all in all by the time this, the training starts they come home, they decompress, they go, they, they fly to Cyprus after they've been on tour to decompress for a few days. Um, it kind of is nearly a year um, of your life. It's scary, uh, isn't it? Then, yeah. I mean, I didn't have, like, I, I had an ex-boyfriend, I had a boyfriend who was a mercenary in Iraq. So he would be away three months and then he'd be back, like, for a couple of weeks and then he'd be away for three months. Sometimes that would turn into six months. But I didn't have kids. So the challenges that you have with children and them not really understanding and, like, it's, and, and it is like, it's, it's like a grieving as such because they come into your life, they mess it up, and then they bugger off again. And it's like that detachment I've said, it, it, and getting it all it's back on track. The only preparation I had for being a widow because I like when he's not yeah. there, but I always knew he was coming back. Um, I mean, the first time he went away when Sophie was born, he went to Canada on exercise for five months. And there was barely any communication because they were out on the prairie and there's no phone lines or anything like that. So you couldn't speak. Um, I maybe spoke to him four or five times in those five months. And when he returned, Sophie wouldn't even look at him, didn't want to speak to him, didn't want to look at him. She hated him because obviously she thinks, oh, well, you know, dad left me and now he's come back and expects me to be. This, and it is it is a difficult challenge having that kind of life of the single mum and not single mum. And it's very difficult. For, it was very difficult for him to come back into the family, having seen how much he'd grown. Because at that age, you know, children change so yeah. much. Um, she All her likes and dislikes had changed. You know, she'd grown another foot. She got out of nappies. Um, she had her own character coming through. And he'd missed so much, you know, he missed her first steps, he missed her first birthday, all this sort of stuff, you know, that you would as a single parent deal with. But then you've got the extra pressure of them being in a war zone or a dangerous place or something like that. On top of that, you know, when when the children, as they do, play up, you know, Molly and Amy are fighting over something ridiculous, like she's got more sweets in her pot than before. Um, I want to and she won't let me have the hairbrush and all the little bickery things especially girls that um and also that 
And you have three yeah. girls. So, so that yeah. wonderful period where they discover your makeup bag. And oh, all your really dead. nice lipstick that you've kept, really pristine, are then all over the walls and all over everything else, all over their faces, up you know. Oh my and, god. And the discipline Yeah, losing your I've mind. always really been the disciplinarian in all of their lives because I'm the only constant I'm only the only constant the three of them have had, um, apart from my parents or my mum. Um but though I am the only one that they've ever been, you know, there they can rely on because I'm always there. So that's yeah. always, you know, as a single parent and in the situation I've lived in, um, that's always probably the biggest challenge is being that one person that they rely on absolutely everything. Um, they need you to clean clean their tears away. They need you to clean their backside, as we know. Yeah, I know. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, Sorry, I've just it, it, just to explain to everyone. Um, while I was chatting to Lindsay previously, before we started the interview, my son was yelling at me from the toilet. Wipe my bottom, mummy. So we were laughing about that because, um, yeah, God love him. He can wipe his own bum, by the way. But um, yeah, he's obviously just needs his mum to do it for some. God for sake. Because when they want yeah. Mum to do it, the mum has to do it because there's no one else there. Well, and I'm sure in like 10 years' time, I'm going to be going, oh, I miss when no. I had to wipe his bum. <laughs> no, no, I'm sure I won't. There'll be other things I miss, but definitely not that. Making sure he's behaving himself around girls or he's not going to get himself in trouble. Oh, my God. But no, I, I, the other well, he's already got a girlfriend, so don't go there. Lucky Oscar. <laughs> yeah, I know. He's not even he's not even six. So I'm like, whatever. But no, it, um, I'm like, don't no kissing. Yeah. It's a very lonely thing being a single parent at times. Even when you're surrounded by yeah, well, I was going to say, yeah, that, well, that was, that was what I was going to say. Like, it was great with Molly because, like, you had that network, yeah. I suppose. And did you find that you got that? when you were on your own a little bit regarding army life when you were like when you um, were because because I'm like I've been there where I've sort of been an army wife sort of not because he wasn't in the army but he yeah, was doing army uh -huh. stuff but um but I wasn't in a barracks so or I yeah. wasn't staying in army accommodation I was staying in a normal house surrounded by other people who didn't even have yeah. a clue what was going on but I didn't have kids at that time. So, I, like, I could go out and do whatever I want when he was off doing a tour. But, like, with you, with kids, like, did you find that the army supported you and you had a network? Or because time had moved on from 20-odd years ago, it was very, you just you didn't know, have it's that? It's very different. And I think you'll understand this as well because of the situation you're in. Um, I was in another country. And whether that's... Yeah, drive wow. a 15 hour drive or a 24 hour flight 26 hour flight family is and you miss them so much and you know when I had Molly my mum was on hand you know my mum was there if I needed something and she was there to help me if exactly. Molly was ill and been awake for three days in a row because she kept me awake and I couldn't sleep my mum would take over for a night and let me have a rest well there was none of that when you're in in another and, yeah. and your family are another country um, no. so that's 
And you can't also, uh, with friends and stuff, you can't also, like, they're not like family. So, like, with your because you've got that relationship with your mum, your dad, your brother, your sisters, whatever, you you know, you, you've got a relationship with them and, and it's family. So you can feel as though you can ask them, Hey, can you, can you look after him for a night? Cause I'm knackered. But with friends and neighbors, you like, I don't feel as though. The you army know. life abroad is very different to the army life in the UK. So everyone, we've all in the same boat. We're all out in a foreign country. None of us have family there you know family will come out and visit from time to time but they're only there for a, a week at most really um some other people who had I mean I can think of one in particular um a good friend of mine Carol was um her daughter was in the army and married to a soldier as well and when she started she had her first child her mum who who was single moved over and lived with them as like a living nanny kind of thing so that that you had that bit. But for me, and a lot of us, you stick together. So although they're not family by blood, the army family itself are probably the most people I've ever come across in my life. And I've met so many amazing yeah. women who are so strong, who, and you know, in the face of adversity and everything, you know, I've seen friends and and, and colleagues of John's been, well, I haven't seen them being killed. He's been killed. and. and yeah. No, but they've been killed um, and then you've and had then to you, deal then with, you, yeah. Then you, then you have to watch from the sidelines how that family pick themselves back up again. And, and the army, although they do look after you, it's a very strict system where after nine months, you're out of that house. That's it. So help you find anywhere. Um, so you have to move. But nine months is not and like and and like you've been going mm. through the bereavement of losing John, right? So like nine like it's like you said, it's been like twenty one months, twenty two months since you've lost him. But like I've seen I've seen you through that period of time, mm. obviously from a distance because I'm in Australia, but like we've chatted and spoken and like no. nine months is no time at all. You're only just sort of getting really? used to the idea really? at nine getting months. Used to it because like, um it was a big shock. It was it's such a shock, shock because there was no signs of it happening. Um, and no. you know, it just turned everything upside down. And and people always say when someone dies, oh, you know, it gets better with time. That's just not true. It doesn't get better with time. You get used to working around that void. It's that void never goes. It is mm. always going to be a huge hole shaped like John's shaped hole within me is that you know when he died a part of yeah. me died with him um and so navigating through that and also having you know it unless you've been through your partner your life partner so ever died it really cannot be understood by other people people think that they get it because mum or their no. dad or their brother or their sister or something but it's unique um it's, it's very very difficult because I thought he'd be there to see Sophie go to her prom you know and everything else and it it, it feels like it's get yeah. married all of those yeah. sort of things I know but yeah growing up with my mum being a single mum after my wife died for a few years she was on her own before she'd been married um it's it's just 
so difficult to, dealing with your own grief, but then having to be that strong person, because I, at the time, had a 13-year-old child who needed me, needed me yeah. more than she'd ever needed me before, and I need John, and John's not there. Um, no matter which way you look at it and which way you try and ask it, no one can come in and fill that gap and make you feel better. And, you know... No. No. And then, and then there's all the things that yeah. you have to deal with as well on top of that. So and I don't and I don't mean like funeral and stuff like that, because everyone seems to crowd round and and support you oh, yeah. sort of in the first few months. But it's like when you go six months, seven months, eight months yeah. down the line and you're then having to deal with clearing out wardrobes and all the other stuff right and I don't so tell me to stop because I don't want to upset you because I know it's still raw but like all of those sort of things nine you know nine times out of ten you're like people have gone because they go oh you're all right now you know it's been six months or whatever and you yeah. know it, it doesn't work that way um he was actually with me the night he died she came over I phoned her at some ridiculous time in the morning and she just drove in a dressing gown and just came right away <laughs> So she was with me when he when they came and told me that they couldn't do anything else. Uh, yeah. And six months later, she said, "Come on, it's time to pull yourself together now. It's been six months. You know, you need to get a grip." And I was like, "Sorry." And it really upset mm. me. And yeah, friends, um, because I passed that because I thought, well, if she thinks going back to the person I was six months ago, that's never going to happen. I'm a different person now. I'm making great. And I found that with a lot of people because we have obviously had friends as couples and things like that. And when you well, or something happens, it's not comfortable. It's even uncomfortable going to a family get together because I'm now the only person. There's me and my mother. You know, my my yes. passed away four years ago. So we had, and then John t- like two years later, and Mum hadn't got her head round my stepfather dying um and I was so worried about her afterwards thinking she's never going to be happy again she's just this that and the other now I totally understand it and it's not that you'll never be happy again it's just a totally different life you, everything's different yeah. you see things through different eyes I look at my children differently um and the way that they've dealt with what they've dealt with has been remarkable. Um, but Sophie, bless her, the youngest of them, and obviously his biological child, uh, she did really well until recently. And now it's out, which I expected, but it's incredibly hard on my own because she she's very good when it comes to giving attitude. <laughs> and... Uh, well, and also she's going to be 16 soon. So the thing is, it's like hormones, it's all of that stuff. When everything needs to be running smoothly and any little fly-in anointment is going to upset the balance of a teenager, but nothing will upset the balance more than, you know, the dad that she adored and did all this stuff mm. dying, you know, because he very sporty so he was really into sport so he used to take her running they used to go to the athletics track together they used to go on you know like the, you know the big inflatable things on lakes and things like that he used to take it all yeah you know, bike ride and look and and like and and he wasn't 
like an old geezer either. Like, I mean, he was, it was, he was about, he was going out the weekend prior to his 49th birthday, wasn't it? 48. He was 48th birthday. Oh my God, 48th. That's right. So prior to his 48th birthday, because him, him and me are about the same age. Um, prior to his 48th birthday. And, um, so like he was 48, man. That's like no age at all, really. And as a child, you know, you would expect your parents to last until they're 70 or 80. And like she's had to deal with her dad going at such a young age, you know. It's, no, and, and it, you know, and I suppose when your number's up, your number's up. But, and we don't, none of us know when our time is. But yeah, that's a hell of a thing to deal with for you and her and the other yeah, girls. And I think you just hit the nail on the head about the whole. They expect them to be around forever. It has changed the way I am as a person and the mother I am. Because now, mm. you know, kids come up and they're like, I want this, I want that, I want this. We need to do this, we need to do that. And you're always like wrapped up in your own head and it's like, yeah, 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 we'll do it in a minute, we'll do it in a minute, we'll do it in a minute. I don't do that anymore. Um, if children want something and it's, within grasp or it's something that's a reasonable request I will drop everything and I will do it with them because I might never get that again um they may never get that time and it makes the things we do together that much more important and I'm I'm very much um and it was strange because John died in the December he died on December the 14th um his birthday was the 17th of December and then obviously you have Christmas so between us we'd been building up the Christmas presents for people and everything else and I don't know why I decided that year but I did and I said instead of buying you know meaningless gifts for people that just go oh yes that's lovely and put it away let's make a point this year of giving gifts that create memories so we bought the three girls tickets to go and see Billie Eilish um, in, at the O2. Um, so three of them could wow. all go together because at this point I had Sophie at home, Molly was living in London and Amy was living in Liverpool and still is. And so they didn't get to spend that much time together as, as sisters. So, we, well, let's do that. Molly was living in London, so they could all stay at Molly's. They can, I can take them down. They can have a couple of days for themselves go to the concert, make a memory that they'll be able to have in their mind for the rest of their lives. And I was very, doing things like this, like, and, and experiences instead of present, meaningless presence. Yeah. And it was almost like I'd seen what was coming because now the, you know, the memories that we hold are all we've got. And, um, yeah we've sort of said, you know, we need to make more of these. There's, just because he's gone doesn't mean we've gone and we need to do what he'd want us to do. We need to live every minute for, you know, the best possible version of ourselves we can. And yeah. um, and I really do see that the girls have embraced that. It's very difficult for them. And it's, it's obviously with COVID happening straight after because he died in the December and then the UK covid went mental um in about 
yeah, about the end of February, beginning of March. A couple of months, wasn't it? January, yeah, February, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and then my mum contracted COVID um, and I was really scared that I was going to lose her. Yeah. You know, at the time when I really needed that support network around me, I couldn't have it because we were in isolation. No, because, but, well, you couldn't, yeah, exactly. So you, you had COVID, your mum had contracted, so you couldn't no. see her because she was isolating and stuff. And then, and you were obviously in a different town in in the UK, but like you had to isolate because you know um, you're you you're one of the people who potentially could be vulnerable yeah. if you get COVID, um, and so you had to be careful as well about going out and you know venturing out and you know, partying and stuff. For months. Um, and on, on top of all that, I had Amy in Liverpool, which is you know five. Oh, which is a cesspit. Lovely. It's <laughs> Not literally, like, Liverpool's lovely, yeah. but, like, for COVID, that was yeah, horrendous. she never got it. All she did, she was asymptomatic. Yeah. Um, but she was on furlough, so for the first time, her and her partner were stuck in a small flat together. So I was having her mm. on the phone every day going, he's driving me mad. And and, and deal with that. And, and the other things, you know, Molly's in a relationship now. Um, and even Sophie has a boyfriend. So when when I'm in my own house, I'm sometimes surrounded by couples and I'm not in and yeah. that's quite tough, quite a tough cookie to bite because some days I'm absolutely fine, other days I still miss him so much. And you know, and and, yeah. and there's silly things like yesterday, you don't know this, um, this lovely lady decided that she would put her foot on the accelerator and not the brake and hit my car up the side. And oh. it does shock you. And, that, and all I wanted to do was ring him yeah. and tell him. And I, Well, yeah, because it's like just to say, hey, this bloody stupid yeah, woman, um, and can you help me or whatever, and you can't. To bang ideas around. If children are playing up, you can discuss it with them and say, you know, what, how are we going to deal with this? What's your ideas on come up with a plan but when you're on your own you have to do all of that you have to do absolutely yeah and amongst all that you have to cook clean put a roof over the head buy them clothes do this run them around you know like be mums deal with yeah, hormones with, you know and having all the girls you can imagine hormones is beautiful um oh and and once a month I'm imagining everyone sinks in and it's all fun and like PMT towers <laughs> it's you know, it was so terrible. And I had a hysterectomy at 32, so I don't have to worry about any of that. So it hurt me even oh. more because they angsty and I'm yeah. like, oh, here we go. I just hide. Um, uh, yeah. I, I've, uh, if it So, okay. So, so it's pretty like, I and I completely understand. And I, I say I completely understand, but I don't because I haven't been through it. Um, And I, you know, and I know that because I haven't been through it, I can't, dive into yeah. where you're at but how do you like how do you overcome those sh- shitty days where you're just like and I think I know what you're going to answer here but where you're just like oh like I don't know how I'm going to get to through begin today. With, um when we were in lockdown and everything else and even though I probably wasn't meant well I know I wasn't meant to do it I'd jump in my car and I would go for a yeah. drive with loud music on, sing myself stupid, cry myself stupid, 
beat myself up, be angry at the world, shout and scream in the middle of nowhere, calm myself down, get back in the car, drive home, and I could calm down. Uh, that was yeah. when, it, you know, I really needed the escape. And then I've always been um, into sort of arts and crafts and things like that. For many years, I've done that. But I threw myself into journaling, art journaling. And mm. all the way through lockdown, I did at least one journal page a day, um, using acrylics or whatever, made an absolute... So what is art journaling, though? Just for people so, who don't know, what, it, what is it art really journaling? What it is, is playing with mediums, art mediums, in a book. That That's the, ba- that's the basic okay. thing. So... Um, I would just layer upon layer upon layer of different paints, inks, um, pastes, whatever, until I got to a point where I got I could feel myself calm. So it was my kind of therapy. Sit there, and I'd have a blank page, and the first thing I did was destroy that blank page. Could have been doing anything. I could have thrown paint at it. I could have drawn on it. I could have scribbled on it. I could have stamped on it. And that's the the start of it. And then, you know, um, I could sit there for a day and just do one page, but it got a lot. You you don't think about anything else. It clears your mind. So you're just concentrating on the there and now. It's a bit like mindfulness in that sense is that, you know, I practice mindfulness a lot um, and that has helped me through. Uh, I also had Mm. positive hypnotherapy. a good friend of mine who's also an artist had been training to be a hypnotherapist and she'd asked me the November before John died if I'd be interested in doing it. And I said, yeah, definitely. And then obviously John died and she didn't want to bother me. Um, And I actually went to her and said, would you still like me to volunteer to do this? Because I actually think it would be quite good for me. So she taught me a lot of techniques um, and gave me some audios to listen to. And um, which put you in sort of a state of trance. And it, the power that came through that was phenomenal. The feeling of calm gave me was absolutely amazing. And she was gobsmacked by how well I was in tune with it all and how much difference it was making. So I, I was, yeah. and we were able to do it on Zoom during lockdown. So it was my one thing Oh, yeah, wow. yeah. It was a one thing a week that I looked forward to and I knew that if I was, had a bad day or whatever, it'd be okay because I was going to have my appointment and I knew that I'd feel better then. So I always had that as a crutch to sort of keep me going. Um, I didn't do it. There was no talking therapy. Thanks, everyone, for listening to part one of the interview I did with my good mate, Lindsay, regarding um, her bereavement and dealing with the death of her husband. Part two will be coming up next week. So please tune in and listen to part two of um, my interview with Lindsay next week.